Hi, everybody. Robin here. One quick announcement before we start the show. Chris Roche and I recorded this podcast the night before Red Bull Racing announced that Sergio Perez was going to be racing for them next year and that Alex Albon would be the reserve driver. So we're going to have a conversation about Sergio Perez before we knew the news. So just wanted to let everybody know that we recorded it the night before it was announced. Okay, hope you enjoyed the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 266 of the Fun With Cars Formula One podcast, or episode 7 of 2020. I'm Robin Warner, and today I'm joined by the man that probably spells Florida with an O-U. What color is the ocean in Florida anyway, Chris Roche? <laughs> Hello, Robin. I can't wait to find out, mate. Oh, oh, the color. So lovely. I do like the Americanization of the English language, the slow optimization. Let's, let's eliminate all these redundant letters here and there. Precisely correct. Maybe we can, uh, maybe we can enjoy um, uh, a bowl of pasta together one day. <laughs> Today we are going to talk about Hamilton's seventh championship winning race in Turkey and the final three Grands Prix in Bahrain and Abu Dhabi and as well of a bit more silly season news. It is, what day is it today? It is December 17th. Boy. And uh, let's get into it, Chris. <laughs> Should we start with Turkey, which is topical for Brits at Christmas time? Out of respect for Queen and Country, absolutely you could start with the, Brit uh, the Turkish Grand Prix. Well, it was a pretty interesting race too, right? I mean, the track was slippery even when it was dry, and then it got pretty monsoon-like in the quali session and uh, also the race. And we had some great performances. I mean, yeah, of course, the standout moment was Lewis uh, matching Schumacher's uh, record and uh, becoming a seven-time World Drivers' Championship, which is uh, obviously awesome. But the, um, you know, I think Stroll in, in a... Racing Point deserves an honourable mention. What a great pole position. Agreed. Although he showed a little bit more of his true performance levels thus far, at least, in, in the race. He had, you know, there were some, there were some fissures in his, in his resolve. And uh, he, he got a little bit anxious and a little bit, um, he lost his cool just a little bit. But... I what? think that's I think that's pretty harsh. I thought he well he he he, he did he really did. well, but then when when for things, half the race when things <laughs> fell apart exactly they fell apart pretty hard and he reacted yeah. more strongly than I'm not trying to be overly harsh. I'm just trying to say that was kind of a hit of reality. I suppose. Yeah. I mean, look, really, if you want, really if punching you want, above his weight, if you want to beat up on billionaire sons, I think Mazapan's the new boy in town. <laughs> <laughs> we can really go to town on him. Stroll's turning out to be you know a really good guy. So. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I've seen worse performances from pole position, right? I've seen people bottle oh, it, sure. not, not be able to take the pressure. I mean, 100%. And, and tri tricky conditions, and he led, you know, you have to say, consummately up until his uh, pit stop. And then I think, you know, it was factors also a little bit beyond his control that did uh, result in the performance drop-off of the car. I'm not sure he would have won even without that, but, I mean, it was a, it was a measured, decent, decent uh, effort by him. I, I think that's fair. And I, I think what, what I'm getting at, I think that, the issues that he dealt with were not 
born out of his own mistakes. He he had circumstances that turned into be roadblocks for him going on to win the race. But what I'm saying is it just showed that he's not quite there yet in terms of performance level when it came to how he reacted to those problems. That's that's the only point I'm trying to make. I'm I'm, I'm genuinely not trying to be overly harsh. I just, uh, you know, I'm just saying that he's like, okay, he he performed adamant, uh, uh, you know, admirably considering uh, considering the circumstances, especially considering the tricky conditions. I'm just saying when things started to go just a little bit sideways, you could tell he wasn't quite ready for it. It's just dawned on me, actually, that your least favorite Formula One driver that I'm aware of is Jack Villeneuve who happens to be from north of the border. And, and Mr. Stroll is also Canadian. What is it do you have against Canadian F1 drivers, mate? Tell I, us. The people want to know. I love Canada. <laughs> I love Canada generally. I love the people from Canada. Just not their drivers. I, who else you know, don't you like? No, and I, love, of... and I love Canadian racetracks. That is, it's, a, it's a fascinating experiment you've brought up because I can't tell you. I don't think I don't think I dislike Stroll in any kind of way. Well, uh, sounds a bit like it. Well, okay. Well, let's well, let's 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 move on. Let's move on to your uh, pure hatred for Sergio Perez, or maybe you like him again. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but but uh, I want to I want to contrast what you're talking about to the absolute just brilliant performance that Hamilton put on, and just how apropos it was for the moment. How he very distinctly said, absolutely not, I am not coming in for another set of tires. And he himself said, I am not repeating what I did in my rookie season. And I thought that was such a an obvious yet beautiful summary of Lewis's maturity as he's progressed in the sport to have the wherewithal to tell the team that he's not coming in for tires and that he can manage this set just fine and that's a lower risk than a new set of tires in the pit stop. And I would love to hear your opinion on that because his rookie season in China, that's exactly, precisely what happened. That was kind of like the moment that broke his championship in his rookie year. Yeah, that's absolutely right. When he stuck in the gravel, when he he came in to uh, change tires after... uh, wearing out his inters and uh, beached it in the gravel. It was a very sad moment and the, and the championship was slipping away at that point. But yeah, I mean, he was down in sixth at one stage during the race. He was struggling to get past Sebastian Vettel, who made a surprising guest appearance into the upper reaches of the, of the Ford field for once. And um, yeah, I mean, he stayed he stayed calm and he, he you know, he, he uh, was measured and, and the race came to him, didn't it? And, and then he, he, I mean, he dominated at the end. I mean, it was went from one extreme to the other and whereas you know you saw Verstappen I mean who's you know was very feisty and saw an opportunity to win and was you know pushing to to take the lead when he made a mistake and and basically ruined his race so it was quite quite a contrast in performance there I thought yeah I thought Verstappen was kind of revisiting his 16 year old self uh, (laughs) on that performance and he was just he was not he was not at his best but I I really I want to stick with this Hamilton thing for just a moment longer. Did you did you feel like I felt it was almost like poetic justice that occurred that him 
very consciously making the decision and really driving the team to say, no, I do not want to change tires, and making that decision, and that's what clinched his seventh championship as almost like it was like making good on this like 12, 13-year-long puncture he's had on his on his own driving CV about what cost him a championship. Do you think, I, I don't get the feeling that he still dwells on that moment, six championships in by that point, you know, it's like, you know, you let that one, I mean, it, it was a near miss and it must have been absolutely gutting at the time, but he sort of remedied that uh, the following season, didn't he? And, and uh, I mean, I still think it is one of the most outstanding rookie uh, seasons, you know, ever, and it'll be hard to beat. I mean, what did he do? Eight eight podiums in a row from the off. Uh, he matched a, his more illustrious teammate in a feuding team. I mean, it was an incredible performance. Uh, so, I, I guess you can look at it a little bit like um, restitution, but I, I don't know. I don't think he sees it that way, and I think it, it does show. The, as you said, the experience, the the calculating nature of of uh, you know the, all the great drivers have the ability not only to drive extremely fast, but to understand what's going on in the race and and make the right calls even from the cockpit. So you know he's showing he's showing that ability at and this stage of his career. Absolutely, and then the, and the mental acuity, you know, to be able to to game out what's the bigger risk here. You know, and, you know, I think that there's a real, there's a real strength in character in having a, a strong understanding of what is in and out of your control. And not trying to force things that are out of your control, but just trying to optimize and maximize all the things that are in your control. And I think what Hamilton did to clinch his seventh driver's championship was display his mastery of understanding what is in his control and 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 doing what he can to maximize those traits. Needless to say, obviously, I was really impressed by his performance that that Grand Prix. Yeah, no, it was it was a stunning you know wet weather drive, but you know that's something of his uh, forte of his right I mean but you know to come back to your uh, accusation the Sergio did a fine job as well getting second uh, in Turkey and uh, obviously boosting his chances of winning that Red Bull seat for 21 you know he was able to maintain the pace in the second half of the race when when the r racing points were less competitive and, and still bring it home uh, comfortably ahead of the battle for third which was quite exciting on the last lap with uh, Charles and Seb and uh Perez all battling it out so uh, and Leclerc actually making a mistake which he really beats himself up about to be uh, which was quite amusing because it had been a stunning drive up to that point because he had been way at the back of the field um, and yet managed to you know pull through and almost get a podium so uh, it, was, it, was it was an exciting race it was kind of a poetic justice Grand Prix in that sense that I, I felt like Vettel was the cooler more controlled Ferrari driver that race and he he got the better of his teammate, who was just a little bit over anxious, and uh, that's exactly how it panned out. And it was it was almost kind of a moment of like, yeah, Vettel, you you let Leclerc get in your head and you see what happens when you don't do that. I don't know. I'm probably overthinking all these things. 
I, I'm, I'm fully uh, ready to admit that. But I, I, maybe I was just in a poetic justice kind of mood. All right, I got, I got a few. I want you to just say the first thing that comes into your head for the following names, all right? So here we go. We got uh, <laughs> James Hinchcliffe. Um, Do you like him or not? I, I, uh, I know he's Canadian. I know what you're doing here. <laughs> all right, Alex Tagliani. Let's keep moving. You've got to say something. Oh, good driver, good guy, beautiful, beautiful wife. Oh, you don't. Uh, is she Canadian? Uh, she, she was. She was a. She was a fashion model, and she was actually like a TV presenter for IndyCar racing for a little while. Right, so it was a good day, but I like. I like. I like. Not Petri, sure about James. I like Petri like. Carpentier. I like Petri Carpentier a lot, and he's a. He won several IndyCar races, and he had a brilliant performance at, in Mid Ohio, for example. And okay. not only is he Canadian, I'm pretty sure he's a Quebecois. All right. How about Gilles? Gilles Villeneuve, then. I mean, there's very few Formula One aficionados that don't like Gilles. I mean, Gilles Villeneuve, I'm, I think he's the classic, like, I'm, he's the classic, like, over-the-top kind of guy, right? So, I, I certainly respect, <laughs> I certainly respect his capabilities or performances, what he did, absolutely, but... I, I'm much more of a I'm I'm much more of a Jensen Button kind of a guy for thinking it through driving style you know that smooth driving style whereas Villeneuve was a little bit more of a Juan Pablo Montoya kind of guy where he just wrenched the car into submission do you know what I mean Wow that's really fascinating I think we found we've discovered a whole new side to you I like Patrick Carpentier <laughs> a lot I mean Gilles is one of the all time. You know, greats I, of the I, sport. I that is a shocking that. result. I agree with that. I agree that he's one of the all-time. His his capabilities in a car were insane and immense. But his style of of using those capabilities was just completely right to the edge, constantly, all the time. Not not like nursing it. Not just gently getting it to the edge, but just like forcing it into submission. Do you know what I'm saying? I know exactly what you're saying. So you're more of a Prost than a Senna fan as well. Is that? Should we just keep that theme going? So you preferred Alan sort of dis- yeah, surprisingly guess, quick, despite the fact that he looks like he's yeah, going slow. Yeah, no, I guess so. I think. Interesting. I guess, I, guess I would say that's probably true. Because, I mean, you know, the what I, I loved what Senna did to help produce the um, Honda and here in the U.S. Acura NSX. Okay. That's brilliant, and he's got this just—he's got this monumental lap where he's in loafers and he laps the NSX and Suzuka crossed up and all this. is just a brilliant, brilliant video that's been around for thirty years. It's still cool. It's kind of like—it's um, kind of like that Hans Stuck lap of the Nordschleife in the old M3, where he's just flying by everybody. It's just one of those iconic moments. Or Ari—is uh, it Ari Vatnin going up Pike's Peak? in a groupie mm. rally car. It's just one of those iconic videos that sticks with you. Okay, so not keen on Canadian drivers. Then. I so like move Canada on to- <laughs> a lot. And I like, there's a lot of Canadian drivers. I like a lot. This is unfair. <laughs> All right, should we move Goutine on to Bahrain? is fantastic. How can you not like people that come from the same place as Poutine? Poutine is a wonderful thing. Uh, you tell me, dude. I mean, you seem to be more with the problem. <laughs> All right, Bahrain then. Bahrain delivered two crazy good Grand Prix, Grands Prix, excuse me, and also Bahrain produced 
it's hard to call it anything other than a miracle. Yeah, I mean, when, you can't really think about anything other than that first lap shunt, can you? I mean, that was just astonishing. And it's obviously, you know, we're all extremely happy that Roman uh, is... Uh, is doing well and on the road to recovery. Sad that he didn't make the final two races of the season, but uh, it looks like he'll he'll race again. He might even get to test an F1 car um, again fairly shortly uh, to see his, his Grand Prix career out on the right note. But yeah, astonishing footage to see him climb out of that car and the, and the ruins of that house. Just extraordinary, really. It took yeah. a while to understand what was what in the guardrail, didn't it? I mean, it was just crazy. Well, I mean, the fire was obviously a visual spectacle to bring about fear and one of his most serious injuries were his burnt hands in fact but the the deceleration rate was insane i you know you saw i mean he was going what 250 kph you know 150 miles an hour approaching that speed and that car didn't bounce off the guardrail it went through it and stopped right. fast Mm-hmm. And I was I was really nervous about head trauma, and that to me that's that's just that's the biggest miracle is that the way the car was built and the way the Hans device worked and the helmet structure and everything else it worked helped manage the deceleration. That forget getting out of the fire, the fact that he was even conscious to attempt to get out of the fire in the first place, that. That's really incredible. Yeah, I mean, but the impact was was more than fifty G, right? The yeah, I think fifty six. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I mean, so there were so many, so many safety measures that have been introduced that saved his life. Uh, because back in you know back in the old days, um, you know, in the early seventies, there were a number of drivers decapitated when they had a collision with a guardrail, not not dissimilar to that. And uh, and then, as you said, I mean that 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 amount of deceleration that even if you survived. Um, you, you might end up with a Dale Earnhardt type situation, but the you know the hands device is saving you. So you've got uh, you got you know the halo that got got trashed by everyone proved its worth. The hands device did; it didn't impede him from getting out of the vehicle. You know he uh, it was just uh, you know an extraordinary. I mean the whole the whole safety tub looked fairly decent. I mean it looked like you could probably rebuild it if you really had to. You know. Mm-hmm. I mean it would just. Um, don't give in, don't give Haas any ideas. <laughs> yeah, it could be a Mazapan chassis, but um, the the um, yeah, it was it was extraordinary. The the amount of fire. I mean, I remember clearly Berger's crash at Imola when that turned into a, a fireball at Tamburello, and that's the last big big uh, F1 car fire I can recall. And so it was it was shocking to see that 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 amount of flame. Um, and, and you know, again, the fire extinguishers and the marshals didn't seem to have all the necessary equipment that they should have to put out that type of fire. Um, they seemed to be struggling, so it was lucky he got out because I, you know, I think that could have been a problem if he if he'd been trapped inside the car. But thankfully, he wasn't. He got out, and uh, you know, they managed to repair the, the the barrier and everything moved on. And then, of course, stroll inverted. Yeah. I, yeah. All right, but I, I see. So now I want to get to. It's tough to even ask this question, if I'm honest, but I still feel like it is something to ask. Was Grosjean's move cutting across the track to get end up in the tire wall in the first place? Was that safe racing? Well, I know they've they've talked to him about it. 
obviously uh, since the incident and and I think um, Gunther Steiner was trying to understand what what was sort of going on because there was some speculation that his car might have been hit by debris that forced you know that actually caused him to turn to the right because uh, uh, the sky one of the sky sports guys managed to pick up on on a, something being thrown up to his front right wheel but I think ultimately he was nervous about what was going on immediately ahead of him and to the left right because there was a lot of cars very congested um, getting off the track and back on again and I think yeah. he was justifiably yeah. trying to make a move to get away from trouble and, and had just misjudged or forgotten where Kvyat was because that was a harsh that was a harsh cut to the right across track it was severe yeah and I think uh, you know, obviously, if he'd known that Danny had been that close, he wouldn't have made it, right? So, so uh, it, you know, whether it was part, partly down to an error or, you know, maybe there was some legitimate damage to the car, yeah. I mean, it was, yeah, I mean, it's a racing incident, though. I think the 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 issue was is that the, the circuit and the bar barrier just wasn't really, you know, designed for that type of impact. And that's why, you know, as you said, you're really you're, you're running into a barrier that's coming toward the track at that point with nothing in front of it. It's just three layers of Armco and nothing, no tyres uh, and no safer barrier, you know, in front of it. So it just made it a very severe impact. But you can't, I mean, you can't have acres of space off the track everywhere, can you? You've got to have barriers, at some, you know, where you expect the, the, the shunts to occur. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I'm very, very happy that everything happened the way it did and that Grosjean, not only that he was okay, but just just how much humanity he showed and appreciation he showed for everyone. The fact that he came back to the track and thanked everybody. I thought that uh, Grosjean showed a lot of respect and humanity and uh, I, I really respected him for doing that. And I am... You know, I am looking forward to Grosjean getting back into racing and, uh, you know, having a future in a different series. It was a stunning performance, and it was such an affirmation of all these other safety tech. Just as you said earlier, just this is the reason to have all this safety. And, you know, and it exposed a couple of places where perhaps Formula One got lucky this time. So... Obviously, there are still more places to improve safety. And if you look at where the accident happened on a short straightaway in between two corners, you would never think intuitively, oh, this is a risky spot. Because, you know, we're in between the risky spots. Right. But it's like, no, <laughs> definitely, especially on lap one of a race. You know, it reminds me a little bit of that crazy uh, Macau crash that might be a year or two old now um, where, you know, 12, 15 cars were involved and one flipped end over end ended up ended up in some upper, upper barrier in the fencing and things. And when you get a bunch of formula cars truly vying for position on the first lap, there is no part of the racetrack that is going to be calm. And... So it was it was an excellent eye opener for Formula One, and thank God it wasn't a oh we lost someone. This wasn't a Jules Bianchi eye opener. Mm -hmm. This was a wow, all these things fell into place, but it's still an eye opener of where there's big room for improvement. Yeah, the marshal running across the track in front of Lando wasn't that clever. Right? Yeah. Um, yes. You know, 
I, I mean, I don't know how far you've gone back in your Formula One history, but you know, poor old Tom Price got killed uh, in South Africa when he when he hit a marshal. He was carrying a fire extinguisher. So that's really, you know, that, as you said, there's things that can still be improved. I mean, fortunately, nothing happened in this instance, but uh, I know it gave Norris a scare. <laughs> so, uh, oh, yeah, and understandably so. Well, I guess I don't go the South Africa thing, I don't know, but I do remember distinctly. I don't remember which, I think it was Magna Coeur, or maybe it was Silverstone. Where's that, that uh, like, old priest was running down oh, the straightaway yeah. <laughs> right. with a sign that said, you know, God loves pizza or something. It was like this just completely bizarre circumstance. Yeah, that's right. That was early 2000s, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but, but fortunately, you know, nothing nothing untoward happened. But No, uh, it was yeah. – that was more of just this the craziness of Formula One kind of a thing. But still, you know still caused spooked a few drivers for sure right right so and here's what's here's what's crazy about that race that Grosjean incident was huge and then there was a red flag and everything else and then just like that stroll flips over just as you said and then take both of those things away and it was still a crazy race because George Russell was in the car or am I am I off by a Grand Prix? Yeah, you're off. You, we, the Bahrain won. George was still in the Williams. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Sorry. I, Bahrain was just so nutty in general. Okay. Yes. It was after the first Bahrain GP that uh, that. So let's. Are, well, because because the well the other the other thing to touch on in Bahrain one was the battle for the third place on the podium between Perez and Albon, which Perez was winning yes. until, until, until his car yes. yeah, oh, caught on yes, fire. Yes, absolutely, yes. Thank you. Yeah, Bahrain was just... Bahrain had so much going on on both Grand Prix. I, I, I mixed the two up quite uh, a little bit, so I apologize. Yes, um, uh, Perez was winning that battle, and there was, you know, there was a lot of hay being talked about it, about, okay... You're racing the guy whose seat you're trying to take for next year, and then his engine, and then his engine gives. And what what struck me was I was quite surprised with how many people said, "Did Albon just get it? Did his seat just get saved because Perez lost an engine?" And I couldn't help but think, it "Was like, hold on, Perez had him beat. An engine failure isn't Perez's fault." I didn't see how that was. I, I didn't see how that was a savior of Albon's. But what were you thinking? What was going through your mind as you were watching that battle take place? Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think Albon was well beaten, right? And just uh, getting onto the podium, thanks to a DNF, doesn't really, you know, strengthen your cause. And and I, I, I thought Albon didn't really have. A, I mean, he was not a million miles away from uh, Verstappen in Turkey, but he was blown away in in both the Bahrain Grand Prix. Uh, his performance in Abu Dhabi was a bit more respectable. But, yeah, I mean, Perez has had a phenomenal end to the season. There's no doubt about that. I, I still don't think he's going to get the Red Bull seat. <laughs> but, I mean, he has uh, he really has delivered in that car at the end of the season. And, you know, you kind of get the sense that this is a man who feels, you know, this is maybe his last chance, right? He's got a good car, clearly, you know, the third best car on the grid. So he's going to maximize it. And, and, you know, he got his uh, reward at Bahrain too, right, when he wins. So our, our second new winner of the season after Gasly back in Monza. So, and, yeah. and, and that was a phenomenal drive. I mean, he was dead last. 
And of yep. course, he, you know, he benefited from the safety cars, but his pace throughout that race, especially as I think he flat spotted a tyre fairly early on, was just extraordinary. I mean, Albon, you know, they were they were together again on the track, and Albon couldn't couldn't keep him behind or or keep with him once he passed. You know, yep. he was com- comprehensively blown away. But yeah, this is the race where we had uh, Hamilton out due to COVID, so we had a big big switch. We had uh, we had obviously. Uh, Grosjean didn't race, so he was replaced by Fittipaldi, yeah. and then then you had Russell Emerson's grandson. That's right, yeah, Pietro, and then we had Russell promoted to the Mercedes to replace Hamilton, and then Russell's seat was taken by a guy called Jack Aitken. So it was all change, and um, you know, obviously everyone looked at it as a as a shootout for the twenty twenty two Mercedes second seat, right? Yeah, so. I want to actually take a step back from that, though. What did you think about them, them being Formula One, running the outer loop of the Bahrain track, making it a very short track and a very fast one? Well, I don't think I'd ever want to have another F1 race there in a normal season. But I think in this COVID hit season where you've you've been running tracks twice uh, in a row, it made a lot of sense. You know, if you have the ability to run a safe, safe race on a different configuration of the track, why not? And you know it was an entertaining race, and it was, and it was different, and uh, and I think I think it was a good decision. I, I loved it. I thought it was fast paced. I thought it was interesting. It, it was short laps, and yet still had a couple of big braking zones, uh, and and the average speed was uh, super high. There was a lot of, there was a lot of, just novelty to it, and. Uh, I thought that I thought it that it proved a great combination of things. To be honest, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think overall the, the two Bahrain races were good. I mean, for a variety of reasons. I mean, you can't really give it all all the credit to the track and the facilities, no, 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 but no. certainly but not yeah. trying to suggest that. Yeah, I mean, compared to the ball fest of Abu Dhabi, I mean, it was uh, yeah, it was good. Absolutely, yeah. No, listen. If, if I were given the choice between going back to Portugal, going back to Portimao. Or running Bahrain twice. Obviously, I, I would choose Portimao, but uh, I, I was actually quite pleased with running the outer loop, and I thought I thought it made a case for itself. Like perhaps a every other year, one year it's the full track, the next it's the outer loop, kind of a thing. I would I would buy that. I would go for that. Well, actually, amusingly, I was thinking to myself, do you remember when Monza? Well, you, I mean, you probably don't remember because I don't either. But they used to run Monza where they would run the oval course on um, alternate laps to the to the normal road course. So you would do a lap of the road course that we no. know and love today, and then they would do a lap of the oval. And then, My you know, God. No, I so did not know that. You could do that in Bahrain. <laughs> you could alternate. <laughs> <laughs> or would that, so would that be two laps or would that be one mega lap? No, I'm saying you do a long lap and then you do a short lap and you just... And would that be any better? I was trying to think to myself, would that actually... How confusing would that get? (laughs) Oh, my God, with lapped cars? Oh, my... Yeah, that would be really something. But, you know, halfway through the race, you'd have quite a lot of track for the cars to spread out on, so you wouldn't have too much lap traffic. But I'm not sure it would make it more entertaining. But it just... You know, you can't think of too many tracks these days where you could even consider that possibility. that That sounds like a Formula One equivalent to Crazy Eights. You know, figure eight racing. We're uh-huh. just like, who's going to bump it? Who's going to, when they recon, who's going to hit who where? <laughs> right. Yeah, well, I'm not proposing they run one in different directions. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, first of all, 
Hamilton got COVID and he actually, apparently, you know, he wasn't asymptomatic. Apparently he had some symptoms. I don't think it ever got scary or dangerous. He was never hospitalized or anything like that. But apparently he did get a bit sick. Well, yeah, he was saying that it was affecting his performance in uh, in the season finale, right? I mean, he, he wasn't 100% in the last race, that's for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, so what was your expectation going into that race of Russell? You know, it was interesting because it, it was exciting to just consider the Grand Prix from the perspective of you've now got a guy who's shown you know decent pace uh, in a in a in a tail ending uh, tail ender car, but how was he going to really fare against Bottas and, and to some extent Verstappen? I mean, and I, you know, like everyone else, you know, his qualifying pace looks looks good, but I have been having my doubts about his performances on Sundays. To be honest, how about you? Yeah, I I, I was. You know, we talked about it. I don't know if it was last podcast or maybe the one before. How a couple of times over, Russell's had an opportunity to score points. And then something's happened to keep him from doing it. You know, that spin uh, behind the safety car being the most obvious and um, obvious crazy one. But also his performance uh, for one of the standing starts at Mugello. It's, mm-hmm. it's funny to say one of the standing starts at Mugello. It's funny <laughs> that you didn't say that. But... I thought I, I I thought that this was it was a, it was a real opportunity for him to show that he had the medal for this and to me I thought I thought very much that he did show that he had the medal for it I thought from his driving point of view that he he definitely performed at the level he needs to to give Mercedes confidence in him Oh, I thought it was a phenomenal effort. I mean, I don't think he could have done any more, could he? I mean, he his qualifying effort was was impressive. What was it, twenty six thousandths or uh, off of Botas? You know, he put it on the front row. His start. I mean, there were a lot of people questioning his starts because his starts for Williams haven't been good. And but his start, on. his start yep. was awesome. Yep. You know, and then he controlled the race, and he just had the race in his pocket, didn't he? Until the snafu. Um, at the uh, at the safety car period, which ironically was caused by the guy who took his seat in the Williams, <laughs> and you know, and then you know he he gets he gets his double stop, so now he's down in fifth. He pulls a great move on Botas, gets past Stroll and uh, whoever else he had to overtake. I forget now, but then you know he's in second place. He's closing on Perez. It looks like we're going to have a great you know finale, and um, and you know then he gets a puncture. And he still managed to, to come up back through the field and and score points. So it was, yeah, I, I thought it was, nuts. you can't really imagine a better introduction to the sharp end of the grid, can you? Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I feel Russell checked checked all the boxes, dotted all the I's, crossed all the T's, whatever you want to say. He It was a thorough, a thorough performance and one that he was thrown into very unexpectedly, very quickly. And I was... I really felt like this will be Botash's chance to show that he's been giving a bit of short shift here. And it's like, no, no, he had Botas, I think, shortened his career at Mercedes a little bit. I, I quite agree. I mean, you know, you could imagine, I, I imagine he'll see out his 21 season, but could you see him in 22? I'm not so sure. Yeah, I, it's, it. you know, obviously we know, who knows what could happen in 2021, of course, but... Uh, yeah, that that was a hard, that was a hard performance for Botas. That was a tough pill for him to swallow. And Botas again had some bad luck because let's not forget that during that awful pit stop, Botas was just sitting there for thirty seconds 
And the end result of that pit stop is his old tires were put back on. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And he didn't have great, great tires when the race restarted. He was in fourth place. And of course, yes. by this point, Russell was on fresher rubber. But the other people ahead of Botas and some behind him were on similar aged Pirellis. And yet he seemed to struggle more than most. I, I agree. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think for me, it was a bit unfair because Botas had some genuinely hard luck there. But also, in the early parts of the race, I mean, well, first of all, the start of the race, Russell got a better start than Botas did. Botas has struggled with starts pretty pretty consistently, uh, this season at least. And uh, when it came to settling in and getting race pace, this was Botas's chance to show that he has years in the car, had a full season in the car, knows the in and outs, he's better at the dual-access steering, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera to really pull ahead and none of those things happen. And I mean, then on top of that, he had the bad luck. Yeah. I mean, the other thing I'd say is that his performance over the whole weekend was poor. Friday, he was making mistakes in free practice one and two. He damaged the car. He, he was a bit more competitive on Saturday, but he just looked like a man under pressure. Whereas you would expect the guy who's just been promoted to the seat has never driven the car before. doesn't quite fit in the car properly. should be the guy under pressure. And it just looks like he's not quite able to take the final step to, you know, the level he wants to be at, which is up there with the Hamiltons and Verstappens of this world, right? He just doesn't quite seem to have it, is my impression. Sergio Perez. First of all, right from the beginning, I 100% blamed Charles Leclerc for that first lap incident. Oh, yeah. No doubt. Yeah. Okay. Glad we're in agreement there. Obviously... This was a good track for the Racing Point car. The performances were strong, but again, the level of maturity, the level of confidence, the amount of aggression, I mean, it was a masterclass performance that Perez put on. That was, I remember it was when, uh, I don't remember if it was 2010 or 2012, but Jensen Button went from last to first at the Canadian Grand Prix. Um, which is a country I love, by the way. <laughs> Just not their drivers. And, <laughs> and, you know, he he was he started where he started. He ended up dead last. It was a, a wet and drying track. And then on the last lap, he forced Vettel into a mistake, passed him for the win, and, and took the win. I don't, it, was, it was Canadian Grand Prix 2010 or 2012. What Perez did here was very reminiscent of what Button did, you know, a decade ago, roughly. And it was just, he made the moves at the right time. He was aggressive when he needed, at the right time. He, uh, he took care of the car when he needed to at the right time. And he pulls off this massive victory and does so at the same facility the, the week after his engine fails. I mean, it was just, it was such a, it was such a beautiful moment. I see parallels with the button race, but you know that race, when as you said, wet and dry, and you got different people coming in at, for, for you know wet tires into tires at different stages. It can jumble the order, but Perez drove that entire race in a perfectly dry track. Yep, and you know he was able to beat all his midfield uh, competitors on merit. I mean, he just outdrove them all. So we're talking about people like Danny Rick. We're talking about you know. Uh, 
Gasly, we're talking about the two McLarens. I mean, Albon, he made them all look stupid, honestly. Really phenomenal drive. I mean, he was obviously lucky with the Mercedes misfortune and, and, and the safety cars, the two safety cars helped him out. But his sustained pace was just astonishing. And he didn't make a mistake, did he? I mean, he just just kept the pace high and, and nobody else could, could live with it, really. Now, tell me why you don't like Sergio Perez as a driver. Because the podcast before... <laughs> You All were right. telling me how much... I knew you much, were going to hit me with this one. Yeah, okay, you I, told I got me a, how much he was unworthy. Right, here's the logic. All right, I'm going to tell you. I think... I don't dislike Perez. I always, I always thought he was a good, uh, you know, number two driver. And he is, uh, you know, quite honestly, if you were... If, if Lawrence Stroll had any ounce of intelligence, he would not be getting rid of him for Vettel. Because it's not going to get better with Vettel behind the wheel. It's only going to get worse. So he should just be staying at Racing Point or Aston Martin, whatever you want to call him. Now, he will not be any quicker than Albon in a Red Bull. I can assure you, he will be four tenths a second off Verstappen. And, and his, his, let's go back in time, right? So Perez's career started out at McLaren. Was he that quick? Not really. He never really shone against his teammates, right? One of whom was Button. Yeah. Okay, then we, we remember his... Uh, Force India career with Ocon where they he used to you know they like to hit each other every weekend so he was no quicker than Ocon so Ocon has been obliterated by Ricardo 15-2 in qualifying this year and Ricardo was slower than Verstappen ergo Perez isn't going to be anywhere near Verstappen I'm sorry it's just fact I mean I'm happy for the guy who won the race and he has driven brilliantly but he's not going to be he's not going to be doing much better than Albon in a Red Bull I don't think so, all right. Tell me, tell me how, tell me how I'm going to win my bottle of gin on this one. Let's. Uh, I'd like to know. I'd like to know the circumstances of our bet so that I can win back my bottle of gin. Okay. Well, we're, we can. But look, let's just explore this logic a bit more. So, <laughs> so let's talk about this second seat at Red Bull because it seems to be a poison chalice, right? You've got. I Gaz very Gaz much agree with that. Gasly drove brilliantly before he was promoted to Red Bull and has driven brilliantly since he got demoted back to uh, um, the, the uh, STR or um, Alpha Tory team. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for a lot of people, he's been one of the standout drivers of this year and he's basically ended Kvyat's career, right? That's, yeah, that's right. And if you'd like, from now on, we can call it the team that used to be Minardi. I'm really <laughs> totally fine with that. Okay. Um, the Red Bull Junior team is easier to remember, I think. And then Albon. Albon was doing really, really well at uh, the former team that used to be at Minardi. Gets promoted to Red Bull. Does, does, I think we all agree. He did a pretty decent job at the end of last year. Yes. Uh, ma matching Verstappen's time around Suzuka being the ultimate highlight for me. That is impressive. But this year, he just has not been on the pace. And I don't think that's because he got slower. I think there's something weird going on at Red Bull and that car and how it's set up for Max and how the team supports the second driver. And I think that's going to affect anyone, honestly. So uh, let me, I 100% agree with you and have the same feelings about there's something that is a little, it's hard to quantify, but there's something that goes on at Red Bull Racing that makes it extremely hard to be the established second driver there. There's something that goes on. I 100% agree with you on that. The place where I will 
disagree with you or or want to discuss a little bit at least is I think that Perez would be a little bit more like Mark Webber where if you take the averages on pace he he would not be able to match the established number one driver but he would maintain that level of grit and determination to still have his occasional standout performances and that he's been in Formula One uh, long enough and he's old enough. His brain has matured enough. Let's not forget how young every all of these guys are that Perez would have enough mental aptitude and mental resolve to withstand whatever those elusive issues for the number two driver are. He might underperform compared to Verstappen, but it would not be as much and it would not be as inconsistent. He would be more consistently as close as he could get, despite whatever that elusive difference is. See, I'm not so sure. I mean, who is Perez's benchmark? Let's really analyze Racing Point season because up until the last, I'd say, six, seven, eight races, they weren't really getting the most out of that chassis. And the the fact that Hulkenberg can turn up and actually put in the best qualifying performance up to that point, having never really driven the car before, was a bit of a sad indictment on Perez. And everyone seems to have forgotten that. They weren't really covering themselves in glory. Um, You know, the car, there was, was, yeah, I mean, they had some some reasonable performances, but it wasn't really, they weren't getting the maximum out of the car. It It was clearly quick. And his benchmark is Stroll, who, you know, to be kind to Stroll, he is not consistent either, right? I mean, he is, cap- he is capable <laughs> no. of the odd pole position or exceptional performance, and then he just sort of disappears at other races, and you just don't know where he's gone. So I mean, he's, I he's think Stroll consistent. is a great driver, mainly because he's Canadian, and I love <laughs> Canadian drivers in general. Uh-huh. But considering that, it, it's it, I reluctantly agree with you. So the other thing is, if we look at Albon, this is a guy who has had a pretty decent junior career. He has um, probably been promoted to the main team against a very tough mate, teammate too soon with a car that's fairly tricky to drive. I think most people agree with that. Uh, Red Bull, you know, Christian Horner said as much himself. So to give up on him now, again, seems a bit foolish, just like they they learned to their cost with Gasly. Maybe they should have stuck in longer with Gasly. I, I mean, I was for sure thinking that Gasly should be should be booted, but then he's he's come back with such a strong season this year that you realise that it can't all have been down to him. And I think the same is true of Albon, which makes me wonder why we think Perez is going to do any better. I mean, yeah. it's, a, it's a hard one. It really is. You just need someone to clone Max Verstappen, put him in the second car. <laughs> Generally, we agree. It's just, I just think that whatever that X factor thing is that's going on, I think that Perez's maturity and just time in the sport and age in general would allow him to cope with whatever that is better than... Think about how young Gasly is and Albon is younger still. I think that there's a mental fortitude that develops with age and experience that Perez has more of than those guys. And I think that would be the difference that would that would hold him up a little bit higher. 
I mean, how long has Perez been in F1 now? It's been a good run, isn't it? It's got to be eight years, nine, nine, nine years. Maybe well, it was 2013? Emma oh, Claren, and that wasn't his first year. Right, right. So, so yeah, it's got to it's got to be it's got to be uh, eight nine years at least, yeah. right? Yeah. Hey, so you know, as I said, you've got to you've got to look at the, I think the the performance over a longer time span than the last three or four races. It, it, you know, and I think there were too many seasons where he wasn't really that exceptional relative to his teammate. And and this season, yes, he's beaten Stroll ten four in qualifying, but. You know, I think you or I might have a shot some days beating Stroll. <laughs> <laughs> I, I appreciate that so much. Thank you for that. I agree with you, but it frustrates me. I still think Perez has certainly earned a place in Formula One. And now the Red Bull racing seat is the only seat left. Yeah, so let's... I mean, I don't really want to talk about Abu Dhabi, do you? Other than... Other well, than there's something to talk about. No, I do want to talk. Let's 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 handle it quickly. Okay. It, it was it was a non Mercedes victory. Yeah. Well. Yeah. That's a good point. That was I wanted to make about that. Yep. Go on. Uh, you know. So Honda 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 won that race, and Honda <laughs> won that race on pace. The Mercedes, both Mercedes were there. The drivers just they didn't have. What it ne- what they needed to win. So okay, real quick, McLaren. The McLaren season was 2013, and uh, his very first uh, season was 2011. He was with Sauber in 2011-2012, McLaren in 2013, and Force India starting in 2014. Yeah, so that's a pr- pretty good career, and now he's a race winner. Yeah, and Force um, India became Racing Point. We blah blah blah. So yeah, yeah. So I don't know. It's it's one of those where. I feel that people like Perez are more worthy of a seat in Formula One than some of the guys that are coming in. That, that I don't think some of these F2 drivers have really earned earned the right to kick out. Um, you know, the likes of Magnussen, Grosjean, or, or Perez. This uh, something doesn't seem quite right with the way the the way the ladder's working at the moment. But um, so I, I think I I agree that he probably is worthy of an F1 seat. I just don't know where. And as I said, I'd probably leave him in a racing point. I think he seems to be doing pretty well there. But yeah. that decision's been made, so... Yeah, and I the one thing... Oh, I, going back to that, there is one thing. I think that Lawrence is correct in thinking that Sebastian Vettel has more marketing power than Sergio Perez. I think that's that's got to be part of what Lawrence Stroll is leaning on with uh, having four times world champion. It depends where you want to sell Aston Martins, doesn't it? If you want to sell them in Mexico, it's <laughs> 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 Well, yeah, I, yes. But, uh, you know, obviously, were I in charge of the team, I would say, son, here's 18 bazillion dollars. <laughs> You're going to be our test driver. You're going to be on the simulator as much as you want. You're going to have as much champagne as you want. You're going to have as much poutine as you want. <laughs> Vettel and Sergio will be the ones burdened with having to go to the different races in the different <laughs> countries and talk to all the media people. Ah, oh, what a drag, right, son? No, you don't have to deal with that. Not my son. Too good for him. <laughs> and I would have Vettel and Perez in the racing point. There you go. That would be I my... I think we've solved the conundrum. Would, and now yeah. one stays in the Red Bull. All right, yeah. sorted. So let's go back to Red Bull and, and their magnificent Abu Dhabi win. 
Um, you know, now, it's the same on, old... Let's pump your brakes oh, just real quick. I never oh, said oh, magnificent. Oh. I never said the word magnificent, so don't, do not put words in my mouth. Okay. Well, no, I mean, to be, I, I give him credit. I mean, it was a strong performance, great pole position, and Max dominated the race and uh, had the Mercedes covered throughout. The qu- my, my point is, where's it been all season? Why has it taken to the last race of the year for that to happen? And now we all think that there's going to be a chance they put on a title battle next year, whereas they've done this for the last two years, where they've well, flattered to that. deceive. I no, never but, thought that. But people are talking them up now, aren't they? And saying, oh, is this, is this boding well for next year? I mean, it's absurd. I mean, what have they been doing? I mean, okay, they've been Mercedes' closest challenger all season. And Max has driven you know the wheels off the car i don't want to be too yeah, harsh that's but, been but, the problem some of the time <laughs> but i think you know that that they they i think they they underperformed at races and and probably were hoping that they would achieve more than more than two wins this year yep yep you know i agree with that and and i and you could look at both wins to a certain extent came with mercedes being hampered to let them, and and by that i mean you know, Hamilton had just come off of having COVID-19 and uh, still didn't feel 100%. That's a pretty minor thing to throw at Mercedes, but... Well, and the engine problem. So they had to dial down the MGUK. Exactly, because yeah. the engines were old and tired. And yeah. uh, and so that was... Those were the two things. And I think it was good that Honda could be like, well, our engines can still run strong in the last Grand Prix. That's something that I think... Japan can hold their heads high up about and compare that and use that as a as an argument, but uh, I completely agree with you that this doesn't say oh the writing's on the wall for some epic battle next year. No, I don't think that at all either. I think that uh, I think that the the cards finally fell Red Bull's way. Yeah. So um, and then of course it was a racing point disaster with Perez. Uh, exactly. I'm glad you brought that up because that was the most interesting thing about the Grand Prix was third in the constructors championship and just mm-hmm. how it imploded. Well, and McLaren was suddenly point. so strong. McLaren suddenly turned up and were racy again, who seemed to have been dropping off the midfield battle, um, and suddenly turned up and were quick, uh, especially in Norris's hands. And, and poor old Racing Point just just uh, struggled with, with, with mechanical reliability all weekend. Well, hold on. I mean, Sainz was right there. No, not really. Smiles <laughs> <laughs> behind. At least four seconds. <laughs> okay, fine. Yeah, th- th- those, are, th- those are miles. Well, Norris, I, Norris won, the, won the battle, didn't he? Inter-team battle, 9-8 in quali. It was a good, very good qualifying performance he, by Norris, to be fair. Absolutely right. Now... I do, though, I want to bring up Sergio Perez again. <laughs> I mean, you know, Abu Dhabi, that was, that, was, that was the tipping point that caused all the stress for, for Racing Point, was that Perez was out again. You know, and I forget what was it. Was, was it, it, was a, it was an engine failure, wasn't it? He, had a, he just lost power. Yeah, I think so. It was another powertrain unit issue, and, and yeah. which is astonishing because why it, it's a bit like the season when Hamilton got all the mechanical issues. Um, it seems to all be Sergio Perez this season. It's, it's weird because I don't think many of the other Williams cars have many issues, did they? No, no. Uh, Mercedes cars. I mean, either in the Williams uh, or, or Mercedes themselves, they all seem to be pretty reliable. So yeah. just Sergio's car. Mercedes, you know, Mercedes had a few instances where they had to turn things down um, 
as as they did at Abu Dhabi, but maybe it was just better at managing than Racing Point was, perhaps. But yeah, it, the fact that it's always Perez, and the fact that he had DNF win DNF to wait as a way to end his career. Jeez, ah, that was that was tough for me. Well, that's and, telling. His career's over, is it? Yeah, right. Yeah, and you know, and and Otmar's Otmar's like genuine, deep, and guttural dismay that you could you could see right through the cameras. I mean, just there they were. They were they had the edge to be third in the constructors' championship. This this tiny little team. I mean, obviously they were growing with Lawrence Stroll's money, but to be third in the constructors that would have been so monumental. And then it was thrown away with with the DNF like that. Oh, yeah. That I mean, it's tough. yeah. That is that is difficult. And so next season, McLaren can have all the reliability issues with the Mercedes engine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, uh, you know, Otmar lived a good. I think it was at least ten, if not closer to twenty years, in Dearborn, Michigan, because he worked at Ford. So yeah, he's an interesting guy, actually. Yeah, isn't he? Otmar, Otmar, and I actually have that in common. I was contracted at Ford, but I worked at Ford for a year. And then uh, when I was at TRW, I was worked on Ford programs. So I have five years at Ford, and of course my grandfather worked at Ford. So I have we have a lot of ties at Dearborn. So cool. We're basically so, we're basically blood blood brothers, Otmar. You're, Hit me up on so, Facebook. Your surname's easier to pronounce though and spell. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Well, I think he's Romanian, if I'm remembering correctly. Born in Romania, and then moved to Dearborn when he was, uh, you know, ten or so, and then lived and then worked, and then worked there for a while. I hope I'm remembering. I hope I have the timeline correct. But something along those lines, roughly speaking. So, I mean, if we just move on to a quick uh, before we talk about the driver driver changes. I mean, in terms of the season, then uh, you know, it's it's so that was McLaren's highest. Uh, constructors position since 2012 so third in the championship yeah and uh, so maybe they've come out of the whole uh, Honda fiasco era and then you know out of the 17 races we still had it dominated by Mercedes with 13 wins with Hamilton taking the 11-2 tally there so I mean Botas and Verstappen winning the same number of races it's just not good enough is it no I mean Botas we'll see how 21 goes but I think Botas is, is knows that he really has to step it up for next year. Yeah, and then I mean, in the um, sticking with the constructors for a moment, so Ferrari didn't lead a single lap throughout the entire season. So here's a question for you: When was the last year that that happened? <laughs> that they did not lead a lap? Yeah, and I'll give you a clue. I, it's, I, it's the prior century. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I was gonna. I was gonna say. It would have to be like, like ninety three, ninety four, somewhere in there. Oh, good, good, ninety two. Oh, very good effort there. Yeah. So actually, only two seasons in their entire history. So seventy two out of seventy that they've never led a lap, and ninety two was the last, and seventy three was the first. And it is ironic, you know, because ninety two was obviously a Williams dominant year, mm -hmm. big, yeah. big time, and then. You know, this time it's obviously a very strong Mercedes year. I have one more thing to say about Abu Dhabi. Uh -huh. Abu Dhabi has been a boring race for enough years that we can drop it, right? Oh, it's good. Sunny's got to change. It's not a good season finale at all. Oh, it's awful. Yeah. 
it's awful. I remember one of the craziest things that happened at Abu Dhabi. I hope I'm remembering this correctly. Was uh, this was I think 2010 when Alonso could not get past Vitaly Petrov. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Yeah, he couldn't get past the row even though he was you know near two seconds a lap faster. The car yeah. has that crummy of braking zones that he couldn't turn. It was like. This isn't Monaco, guys. You know what I mean? Like this, it was to me. It was unacceptable. Yeah, it, it's it's gone on for too long. I mean, it's a beautiful facility. I mean, no expense was spared, so they've got to just spend a bit more cash and reprofile the track in a couple of places to fix fix its issues, haven't they? I mean, it just is. It, yeah, it's it's pretty turgid. I mean, as, as as good as the cars look under the lights, you don't want to watch, you know, procession for 60-odd laps or whatever. Yeah, exactly. But do make it Mario Kart style. You know, throw some spinning turtle shells out there or, <laughs> or whatever. Or maybe we need a couple of big proper brake zones. Just some opportunity to pass. Yeah, no doubt. So driver-wise, Perez, your man, got fourth in the championship. Pretty impressive. impressive. Very yeah. impressive. Just pipped Danny Rick, and uh, and then Carlos and Albon both tied on on uh, 105 points to to equal sixth, and beating Charles. So uh, yeah, I mean it was um, it, you know all in all it was a, it was a strong strong season by Perez, but uh, you know. I don't know if I've come to anything. Now, the one driver well, I wanted to get your opinion on was Latifi. So, another great Canadian racing driver. What did you think of his season? Well, his <laughs> performance was outstanding, just like all his Canadian brethren. Um, look, I mean, what we're noticing here, much more so than country, is privilege. Because Latifi comes from a lot of money, and a lot of money was brought to Williams. And that played a big role in Latifi getting the seat. Yeah? And I think that showed. But, but okay, so what do you think about Mick Schumacher being in Formula One then? You think I that's would, got nothing to do with privilege or his name? Obviously, it has something to do with it, but he's also F2 champion. Yeah, that helps. I, I do agree with that point. <laughs> <I mean so. laughs> um, but uh, it, the, the name I wanted to bring up in the standings is... Who finished ahead of Petro Fittipaldi, Jack Atkin, Nicholas Latifi, Kegvid Magnussen, Romain Grosjean, George Russell, Antonio Giovinazzi, and Kimi Raikkonen? Hockenberg. <laughs> Nico Hockenberg. I know. I mean, that's amazing. He, he was side for three races, or he did three races, didn't even start one, and yep. beats all those guys. Amazing. Yep. He, he only finished... He only barely finished behind, uh, well, barely, it's not entirely fair, but person ahead of him in the championship, Daniel Kafiat, and the person ahead of him, Sebastian Vettel. <laughs> so, I, I, exactly. I mean, this, this is what I'm saying. You have to then put Perez's results in context to have what Hulkenberg did in the same car, or you concluded that they're both superstars. I mean, I think that the problem is is that they, they've not shown that superstardom in other seasons. Yeah. Uh, so look, is the racing point just phenomenally good and in anyone else's hands it would have been a race winner? I don't know. I think that you can't separate either side of it because Hulkenberg's a really good driver and Sergio's performances were certainly no worse than Hulkenberg's. Now, obviously, there's a lot of caveats you could throw at that. But, you know, Hulkenberg 
would be one of the highest rated drivers that's not in Formula One, wouldn't you think? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I don't think it's entirely fair to diss Perez because Hulkenberg was right there. Isn't that fair to say? Yeah, I, all I'm saying is the people that conclude that Perez would be phenomenal in Red Bull aren't just looking at the big picture. And I think it's much more complicated and murky than you might imagine. Um, so, you know, I mean, so if Formula One politics are about as complicated and murky as you can get. But so. The point being that does Perez deserve a seat in Formula One for next year? Yes. Does does Albon? I think also you could make an argument that he probably does as well. And so therefore, uh, either Sonoda or Mazepan should go off and sun themselves on the beach for a, for a year. Well, let's talk about Mazepan for a minute. It's great on Christmas cake, by the way. Oh, sorry, that's, that's marzipan. Uh, no, trust me. I, I, I love, I was thinking the same joke. Trust me, we're, we're very much aligned there. No, he he was in a, what's the Britishism? He was in a bit of a row with a, with an Instagram, with a text message, not text message, but like Instagram post, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah, he's introduced himself to the world of Formula One with real dignity, isn't he? <laughs> well, I mean... To be at just this wonderful, youthful age where you think, hey, this woman friend of mine is having some fun with me, so I'm going to have some fun with her. And, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll post this out to the public so the world can see it. It's that kind of decision making <laughs> that I just, you, just have to, you just have to love it to a certain extent. Like, the, the, the simplicity of the world where... You think about something and, and decide on your own that that's the best thing to do. I, I just I just miss that so much that you could think, you know, that, you're, that your life is simple enough to think that that's a good idea. It's like I'm, he's entitled or something. <laughs> I'm, here's the larger, more philosophical question to draw from that, though. Are Formula One drivers getting too young? Now, I know they've always been young. No, but, Alonso's coming back. <laughs> but, I mean, seriously, think about it, man. I mean, like, if your average rookie age was 25 instead of 18, 19, would we run into these types of things as much? Well, uh, you know, it, it, it's down to the individual, isn't it? I mean, you, you, you've had quite a few young young guys come into the sport more recently. I mean, Kimmy was a young guy once back in the day. And, um, you know, he managed to avoid doing that sort of mistake although was the internet invented when you can be joined on the one <laughs> <laughs> oh that was because Kimi here's what's beautiful about that joke Kimi's older than me but he's not older than you sir <laughs> mm -hmm. well I remember working before email so there you go <laughs> Anyway, um, I remember I mean, that too. I, I, I worked at an ice cream shop. I scooped ice cream. <laughs> Did not use email at all. So so we've got four new drivers for 21, and we've got three drivers switching seats. And, and of all of the drivers, the most one of them excites me the most, and I hate to say this, is Fernando Alonso coming back. <laughs> because Why do you, you hate to say that? That's a well, wonderful thing. Because it's a bit sad, isn't it? Um that this is the driver we should be most excited about is a guy, a two-time world champion coming back. But, you know, the guy um, should never have left in the first place. And 
and we know that it's going to be there's going to be fireworks he's he's probably still going to be phenomenally quick and and he's he's going to make it interesting for the Renault management and uh, especially if he's not winning races instantly and it's just going to be it's going to be a lot of uh, entertainment yeah no I I 100% agree although I do have to say I am I am very curious I'm extremely curious to see how signs looks paired up against Leclerc slower yeah, but man, Sainz was on top of Verstappen when they were both at STR. Oh no, that's not true. Oh, they were really close to each other. They were they were comparable. I wouldn't say on top, but I agree with you. Carlos fared very well. He was probably one of the more uh, the stronger of of Verstappen's teammates, probably up there with Danny uh, Ricardo. But but I wouldn't say he had the better of him. Yeah, okay, okay. I because I all right. That I, comparable is fair with me. I would say that Ricardo was borderline on top of Verstappen. I thought those two were very competitive. Verstappen probably had the edge, but I thought Dan Ricardo was still very, very close. Um, and then, um, but so I mean, where do you? How do you rate Leclerc versus Verstappen then? Oh, I think they're they're going to be the top dogs for the next few years, right? Once Hamilton retires, it's going to be those two fighting out for most of the championships. Uh, unless, you know, Russell, someone like a Russell can can get into a Mercedes and, and consistently deliver what he did in Bahrain too. But, I mean, those two are the, uh, you know, they're, they're the champions in waiting, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, sometimes champions in waiting just remain champions in waiting. <laughs> True, yeah. So I you know, but I I think I I I'm quite I'm quite curious to see how Signs compares to Leclerc. Is it going to be an opportunity for Signs to show people to remind people that hey, I was comparable to Verstappen or is it going to be uh it, so is he going to be is he going to be a Felipe Massa? kind no. of driver I mean where is he going to fall no I think he's I think he's going to put up more of a fight than that and I think he's certainly going to be better than Vettel was relative to him this season um, but I don't yeah I think he won't be quite on his ultimate pace I mean to be fair Charles is some of Charles is qualifying I mean he had no right to put that Ferrari fourth on the grid for, for Bahrain too did he I mean that's astonishing lap yeah he, Yep. You know, obviously it then went to his head uh, 24 hours or so later. But, um, but yeah, I mean, he's really pulled some performance out of that car that really doesn't look like it had any right to have. So, um, yeah, we, I agree. It'll be interesting. And I think it'll also be fun to watch Stroll get on top of Vettel and see how he had this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I agree with you. And I agree with you and I have nothing further to say. And But Norris and Ricardo battle could be entertaining too. I mean, absolutely. I think, so, I mean, unfortunately, the new guys coming in. I mean, Schumacher at the back of the field in the has isn't going to be that fascinating, uh, along with Mazepan. And then we know who's going to win that because they've already had that battle this year. And then Sonoda and the Alpha Tori. I don't really know much about him, other than some people think he is quite quick. So, he was the best of the rest guy in the F2 championship. So, no, he was third. That's he, what I'm saying. So it, it was Mick and uh, Elot. Yeah. Elot. They were they were going back and forth on who was going to win, and then okay, that that's what I'm getting at is that there were two at the top, and then he was he was the next guy. 
Well, I mean, he must be upset, right? So <laughs> he came second in the championship and, and is just a test driver for next year. And these other three all managed to get F1 race seats. Yeah, yeah, it's the nature of it. I mean, I didn't get a, I didn't even get a test drive, so I'm not concerned about <laughs> it. <laughs> um, I, I, I think that Mick Schumacher, because his name carries so much weight, I think it's still going to be fascinating to see how that unfolds for the season and how he responds to that. That's that's where my curiosity lies, you know. I mean, I think the sad thing is, honestly, is that, you know, the first few races is going to be a huge story to have the Schumacher name back in Formula One. And then we're going to realize that he's more like Ralph and not Michael. And uh, <laughs> the car's going to be slow. And so the story will just fade, won't it? Potentially. Potentially. He's got to get himself into a decent car sooner rather than later. To, but, you know, I mean, that was the thing that, that Michael did, right? He hit F1 straight in the face right from day one when he put the Jordan where it shouldn't be on the grid and, and it, you know his, his career took off from there yeah, I, sure. don't, I just don't see how you could possibly make such an impact and it has unfortunately yeah 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 do you think there's going to be so we, we had McLaren be third of the championship I think you have to be fair and say that Zach Brown has proved a worthy head of the team Zach Brown is an enigma to me. Honestly, I've heard stories about Zach that weren't very complimentary, but yet everything I, I hear about him and have seen is he seems to be doing a good job and he's a phenomenal racer as well. He's a real fan. His car collection is outstanding. Have you heard oh, yeah. what he owns? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I, he, he's an interesting guy. I interviewed him once a couple years ago. He was at the Detroit Grand Prix. This is when he was flirting... This is when he was first flirting with McLaren, getting into IndyCar. He's very adamant of making sure everyone knows that he's into racing because he loves racing. And he wanted to be a driver, but he knew he wasn't cut out for the top levels. I always found that very fascinating about him. And he's he's been doing it and saying it for long enough that you, 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 you just can't argue with him, you know? Yeah, I mean, and I think he's made... He's made some smart moves in terms of people he's brought in um, to head up the technical team. Uh, what's his name uh, that they brought in from the uh, former Audi team? I can't remember his name off the top of my head. But, you know, I mean, that, that shows that uh, you know, he's willing to make good hiring decisions to shake up the technical structure, uh, to strengthen the team. And, yeah, I mean, they're on an upward trajectory. I mean, it's, it'll get tougher from here on in, right? How do you go beyond third? in a Ferrari bad year, it's, it's going to be tough, but hopefully they'll continue to build. I mean, we, we, want, we want someone to break into the big three monopoly, don't we? I mean, you can't just have Mercedes, Red Bull and Ferrari in per perpetuity. You've got to have some of the other midfield teams like a Renault, like a McLaren getting back in the mix. Are we going to have Ferrari back? <laughs> I mean, that's the first question. I mean, Ferrari finished, what, sixth in the championship? So that's well, a touch premature to even mention Ferrari as one of the top three teams yet. Um, yeah, I mean, that is a fair point. But I, you know, if you want to go back to that gin bet, I would place a bet that they'll be higher than sixth next year. They're not going to finish sixth or lower again next season, are they? Anything? I will bet you a gin 
that uh, that Haas Ferrari finishes ahead of Ferrari next year, <laughs> and and the bet is that if I'm right, I will buy you a bottle of a gin, and if I'm wrong, you buy me a bottle of gin. That's the so, bet. Okay, so a bottle of gin. You're saying if Haas finishes the entire season, so in the constructors' championship, higher than yeah. Ferrari, you, you'd be then drinking too that, much, mate. That means I'm wrong, and that because I'm wrong, you would buy me a bottle of gin. I see. Okay, double yes. negative. Very yes, clever. yes. Aren't I though? So <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see because Renault showed um, some improvement in pace, and obviously they're going to have a. They're going to have a driver that you can't question the driver's performance in Alonso. He still carries that level of weight. And uh, McLaren does seem to be on the up. And just as you said, Ferrari's not going to uh, loiter around in the mid-pack. So we have potential to have a, a, a juicier constructor fight um, next year. Although, obviously, I don't think anyone doubts that Mercedes is still going to be in front. We have to wait until 2022 before we get a real potential for shakeup there. I think pretty much everyone is resigned to that. We've been we've been chatting away for a while now, and I think there's a very good chance this is our last podcast for the year. So I would love to hear your favorite moment of the year. Well, as as uh, frequent listeners will know, I am a closet Hamilton fan. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a big, beautiful walk-in closet <laughs> that has its own office and kitchen and front and backyard. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, I never thought anyone would break Shuey's records. And for Hamilton to do it uh, in quite a lot of style this year, uh, it's just been incredible, really. I mean, the guy is just a phenomenal, phenomenal driver. And I don't think he... I don't think he gets all the plaudits, especially back in the UK, that he deserves. And um, but it's just extraordinary what he's been able to achieve. And and so for me, that has to be, you know, the highlight: the race wins record, then the tie in the championship record. Incredible. Now I, I have to say that I agree with everything you just said there. But I but in terms of the moment of the of this championship that I loved the most, I have to say is. Pierre Gasly's win at Monza. No one thought, even after the Mercedes penalty that took place and kind of pushed them back and everything else, everyone's eyes were on Carlos Sainz and a couple other people, Lance Stroll and others. No one, no one thought Pierre was going to hold the position. And he did so, and he did so brilliantly. And uh, that was just, just a beautiful moment in, in the 2020 season for me, and I think my favorite of the year. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, just his whole uh, bouncing back to form this season after what was an incredibly hard uh, 2019 was great to, to witness, I think, in general. And I think it has been good to see such a strong midfield battle and some drivers, uh, you know, get get good results that aren't necessarily always, you know, in the running for them. And so I think that's been a nice element to it. I mean, if you can take away the top three was pretty repetitive there's been some fun fun racing going on below that level and so the hope is that we can we can get to that point you know across the field in a year or two's time and then it'll be a really a phenomenal championship 
Yeah, well, amen to that. And I very sincerely want to thank you guys for listening. This podcast brings me so much joy. To that end, I very much want to thank you, Christopher Roche, for jumping in and doing this with me. It was great to get to know you at Hatchie, but I think we've gotten to know each other a little bit and really become true friends, and I just, I'm really honored to be able to call you a friend. I respect your knowledge, and I respect you as a person so very much, and I just so thankful that we can do this and, and nerd out about Formula One together, so thank you very much, and deeply appreciate, deeply appreciate that we can do this together, and that you're willing to talk to me, even though you also have to run errands in your car. Why you talk to me? <laughs> so. I do apologize for that. Um, we, we had run long and I needed to pick up my daughter from tennis. So I'm sorry about that. But no, I appreciate you saying that, Robin. I completely agree. I mean, it, it is it is a lot of fun for us to, to have a good old chat about Formula One and, and uh, discover your love for Canadian racing drivers. So. <laughs> well, and I can't wait to one day learn what your favorite color is. <laughs> And, and uh, maybe you can tell me over some pasta and some iced tea. Just try it cold. It's so delicious. Maybe I anyway. will next week. <laughs> uh, thank you for listening. Please take a moment to review us on iTunes or on whatever platform you get our podcast. Please leave comments on the episode of your choice by going to funwithcars.com. As always, I can be reached at feedback at funwithcars.com. Tweet us at fund underscore with underscore cars and check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash FWCars. Chris, this is it. We did it. Yeah, thank you. Merry Christmas to you and uh, everyone listening. Thank you very much. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Happy New Year's. I'm Robin Warner. Goodbye. <laughs>